Well, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bible, and I'm sure that you do, thank you, won't you take them out and go to Acts chapter 4 this morning. Acts chapter 4. Um, I was originally planning to be in Acts chapter 5 today to talk about Ananias and Sapphira, but I thought that would be a good topic to preach on on Mother's Day. Amen? <laughs> you want to come back next month, next Sunday for Mother's Day as we talk about Ananias and Sapphira, but today I want us to look at Acts chapter 4 and complete that chapter and um, because I think there's some things that are going on in our city and I think we just need to hear some things from from God's Word this morning from Acts chapter 4. But as you're turning there, we're going to look at the verses 32 through 35 is where we'll be this morning, but as you're turning there, I do want to say a big congratulations to uh, several of our college students for graduating from coastal Georgia yesterday. Yes. Um, Aaliyah Bolden, Mong, Heath Sanders, David Green, Danielle Gooden, Molly Crawford, and I think some of your family are with you as well. But if your family or your college students graduated, you stand so that we could recognize you this morning, family and college students. Let's recognize you. Amen. Thank y'all. Thank you, families, for being here today. I appreciate that. And college students, I pray um, that uh, your time here at uh, Brunswick, at First Baptist Church um, here in Brunswick in our college ministry, I pray that it'll be a spiritual marker in your life. Uh, that this will be a place, a time that you can remember. We heard God's word. We grew in community. And my prayer is that you'll make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's my prayer. And so family of these college students, thank you so much for being here. And uh, we, we thank you for allowing our church to invest in them. We greatly, greatly appreciate that. Also, I want to say a big thank you to last week's uh, guest preacher, Ray Sullivan. Ray, the discipleship catalyst um, uh, of uh, the Georgia Baptist Mission Board and a good friend of mine. And uh, many of you commented to me of how wonderful he did, great preaching. As a matter of fact, I got a little too many comments on how great his preaching was. <laughs> Just, you know, just, just not so much next time, okay? <laughs> I called Ray this week. I said, Ray, I really do appreciate you uh, preaching um, while I was gone. Uh, several of my people uh, texted me and posted on social media how that was the best sermon they ever heard. And so I said, Ray, you're never coming back, my friend. <laughs> I'm totally, I'm totally teasing, but uh, he did a phenomenal job, and so I'm so thankful that, uh, that the Holy Spirit moved in the lives of our people last week, and I'm thankful. You know what? This is what God's Word does. When you're faithful to God's Word, it opens up the movement of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And it's my prayer that that will take place today. And the reason that Ray uh, preached last week is I was in Daytona Beach with my family and several other families from our church in a dance competition. Now, you know this about me, I'm pretty open and transparent, but you may not know this about me. While I was in college, <laughs> at the University of Mary Hardin Baylor, a Baptist private school, I took a class because all phys ed majors had to take this class, and it was called musical movement. And you know what we learned in that class? We learned how to dance. That's what we learned. It. But we were so Baptist, we couldn't call the class Dancing 101. You had to call it musical movement, but uh, we, uh, we learned how to square dance. Anybody in here a square dancer? Don't raise your hand, but uh, 
Yeah, square dancing, uh, promenade, do do you know what I'm talking about? Um, and there's some other dances. I remember the, the final in that class, I promise you I'm going there with this story. The final in that class, no joke, it was in our gym. It had a written part, and then you had to prove your stuff. So the written part was in the stands of the gym, but your proving your stuff was just you and the professor at half court. And he would say, here's a move, and you dance the move. It was wonderful. <laughs> and uh, I, I will tell you this, um, I am not a dancer, and I'm thankful that, um, that my daughters are dancers. You know, I've had a lot of people say, you know, Pastor Man, how, how, do, you, how do you do this? Dancing, going to all these dance competitions. And my, and my simple response is, well, if, they, if my daughters were, if we had sons and they played baseball, guess where I would be? If they played basketball, guess where I'd be? You know why? Because that's what parents do. You invest in your children and you love them and you learn how to appreciate dance. Amen, dads? <laughs> you learn to appreciate dance. And over the years, I'll be honest with you, I have learned to appreciate dance because in dance there are some movements that are, that are graceful, that are beautiful. Ah, they are well-controlled and it's just beautiful movements. And then there are some movements that are just powerful, the, the leaps and the jumps. They're powerful. And so, yes, I've come to appreciate the, the power and the grace that is found uh, in dancing. Well, in our text this morning, we see that the early church had power and grace. They had some beautiful movements, but they also had some great power. You know, the early church demonstrated great power. We're going to see this in verse 33. In verse 33, we see the church had great power and great grace. The, the Greek word for great is, is megas, mega, great, abundant. That's what the early church had. Well, as we've been walking through this series in the book of Acts, we've been asking this question, what did the early church look like and can we really be like the early church? And so the question I ask us this morning is, can we as First Baptist Church Brunswick, can we have great power? And can we demonstrate great grace? Well, let's look at our text this morning. I'm going to read verses 32, 33, 34, and 35, and then we're going to work our way through this text. And if you're with me this morning, say amen. amen. Verse number 32. English Standard Version, the words are on the screen, the one screen behind me. Our second screen is on its way, so thanks for being patient in that. But verse 32, and it reads, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace... Do you see that? Great power, great grace, do you see it? And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each 
as any had need. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we come before you. And at this moment, we just humble ourselves before your word. Uh, We ask, as the psalmist said so many years ago, open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak directly to us, that whatever our situation may be, the difficulties or the successes, Father, I pray that we lay them all aside, and for the next few minutes, we listen to you. And we ask, oh God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen, amen. Well, as we have been through this book of Acts, four chapters so far, we have seen that the church grew. It grew rather, rather quickly. But we do need to be reminded about the growth of this church, that the church did not have any of the advantages that we consider necessary today. Would you agree with that? They didn't have a beautiful worship center. They didn't have a piano. They didn't have guitars. They didn't have Sunday small groups, they didn't, have, uh, they didn't have a student fundraiser after a church service, uh, they didn't have church buses, they didn't, didn't have a college mission. All these things that we think that are necessary to the growth of the church, guess what? The early church, what? They didn't have them. But yet the church grew. So how did the church do that, and how, and can it happen to us today? Well, I believe our text gives us some examples uh, to follow. You will see that in our text, there are no commands to the church. There's no commands here. There's only an example to follow. And here's the first example that we need to follow that we find in verse number 32, and I want you to write this down. The early church was unified. Will you say that with me? The early church was unified. It means the early church, they put others first. The early church, at this point in early church history, we are up to around 5,000, 6,000 or so believers in Jesus Christ. We're roughly 60, 70, 80 days after Jesus has ascended into heaven. Uh, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost has come, filled the believers with the Holy Spirit. And since Acts 2, the disciples, the apostles, they've been filled with boldness, and they're telling everybody about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands are coming to believe in Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. And so the early church, they were unified. They were unified because of their faith in Jesus, but they're unified also because they thought of others first. They put the needs of others first. Look at verse 32. And it reads, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. So what we see here is that Luke, the author of Acts, he's talking about believers. That's the context. This is written about believers. And so Luke says they were all of one heart and one soul. They were unified. And I mentioned this just a second ago about there's no commands here in in verses 32, 33, 34, and 35. Whenever you and I read Scripture, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves about Scripture is this. Is it descriptive or prescriptive? Especially when you read a narrative. This is a narrative text. Descriptive means it just tells you what took place in history. 
prescriptive means that there's a command to follow like a doctor prescribes a medicine. When we read our text, this is clearly descriptive, meaning this was not normal. This was not normative. This was different. And what we have just read and what we see in verses 32, uh, 33, 34, and 35, what we see here is that this is, this is utopia. Anybody know what utopia means? Utopia means it's the ideal perfection of laws, of government, and society. It means that everybody is on equal footing. It means, it means uh, there are no haves and there are no have-nots. It means everything is perfect. Everybody is equal. And what we read in these verses, I think we need to understand this, that everybody wants this. Everybody wants this community where that there's, that as verse 34 and 35 says, nobody had any need because every need was being met. This is, this is what the world longs for. You look at history, all of history, all of politics looks to come to this conclusion. That we have everything in common and that there is no need because we are willing to think of others first. And this is utopia. This is what the world wants. Now think back with me to uh, the beginning of the United States whenever we, when we came away from, from England. And one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, that our country became a country is because what? We wanted freedom of what? Religion, that's what the separation of church and state literally means. That we can, that we are free to worship as we please, that our government does not have a religion that we all have to be a part of. Is that right? Now, you go back to when our country began. We did not choose a national religion. We said, you can, you can worship however you want to worship. And for those who worshiped in the church with Christ as the king, you could experience verse 32, 33, 34, and 35. Because you had koinonia, you had fellowship with one another. But for those who, choose, who chose not to be a part of a church, a church, the Greek word ekklesia, which means called out ones, which means you are different from the world, you're different from the society because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. If you chose not to be a part of the church, then you were lacking something in your life. You were lacking that connection with other people. You tracking with me? And so what the early, what our country did very early on was this, those who did not join a church or be a part of a church, they began to develop other civic organizations. Have you ever heard of Rotary Club? Anybody ever heard of the Exchange Club? Anybody heard of the, the Grand Pumbas? Fred Flintstone and uh, the Loyal Order of the Water Buffaloes? Are you tracking with me this morning? And so early on in our country, if you chose not to be a part of a church, you are missing something because something inside of you says, I want what I just read here. I want to be a place, the old TV sitcom Cheers, where everybody what? Where everybody knows my name. 
See, God created that within us, that we have, that we have one heart and we have one soul. And so our country, when our country began to stay away from church, stay away from Christ, then other things had to be developed in order to try to fulfill this. But here's the problem with those organizations. Christ is not the head. And what you find in a world that turns away from Christ and that rejects the church, here's what the world does. The world wants the fruit of Christ's kingdom, but they do not want his kingship. Are we not there today? We want this. Our society wants this, but they don't want Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, guess what? You're not gonna get what we just read. Are you with me this morning? So, the early church, the early church was was unified. They, They came together because they believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and they looked at others first and they knew that they had to take care of each other. Now, why did they have to take care of each other? Because they're already being persecuted, they're already being arrested. Their leader has already been arrested, he was killed, Praise God, he came to life, but Jesus had told the disciples these words. He said, what they did to me, they're going to do to you. Therefore, you need to stick with one another. And one of the reasons why I believe that the early church had great power is because they were unified. One heart and one soul. The psalmist said this in Psalm 133.11, the psalmist said this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Would you agree with that? I mean, how wonderful it is. How wonderful it is when God's people live together, eat together, enjoy one another when all things are in unity. Church, know this, God places a high priority on unity. God can bless a church that doesn't have great facilities. God can bless the church that doesn't have great leadership. Don't say a word right there at that moment. (laughs) But what God will not do is will not bless a church that does not have unity. I believe that one of the reasons over the past nine years why our church has grown is because we have a harmonious spirit, amen? We have a great spirit. We are unified, and this is something that God honors and that God glorifies. Anybody ever remember the most popular um, TV commercial in history around 19, some of you want to remember this, around 1968, 69, 70? Anybody know? Who would like to drink a Coke right now? <laughs> I don't know if they're serving that over there in the student, uh, the student fundraiser, I don't know, but, but this is what the world longs for. That's what the world longs for. 
And Coke understood that. And now Coke is in, I would guess, every nation in the world, right? Because they spoke to a God-given need within each and every single one of us to live in perfect harmony. Now, did Coke theologically miss it? Yes. Physically, they didn't miss it. (laughs) Theologically, yes. Because the only organization that can theologically reach what they were talking about, it's called the Church of Jesus Christ. Period. Not a parachurch organization, the church. The church of Jesus Christ. That includes the local church, and it also includes the universal church. But do you, when a church is working together in, 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 in love and harmony, now understand, we are, there are things that we must go by, amen? It's not just love wins, that's not the idea, love and truth wins. But when a church exhibits love and it exhibits truth, folks, it is like a magnet. We can't keep people coming in here. When we are unified and we let the world know that we love them, but we also let them know that we are going to love you so much that we want to point you to the truth of Jesus Christ. And we trust in the power of the sovereign God that he is able to transform you into a disciple of himself. God is able to do that, amen? Well, why did the early church have power is one, because they were a unified church. Here's number two, the early church loved people more than possessions. Look at verse, again, verse number 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. What what is this verse saying? Luke is just simply reporting that the early church, nobody had ownership of their possessions. They didn't own it. And they willingly shared everything they had. They were generous with their possessions. In the early church, what we read here, in the early church, if you had a need and I had something that met that need, what was mine is yours. And then if I needed something that that you had, then in this environment, what was yours was mine. That's the early church. Because the early church was not possessed by their possessions. Now, Probably some of you have read this text and you have probably have read something into this text. If it's not you, I guarantee you the world has read into this text. Because some people would say, oh, well the early church, this is socialism. Are you thinking that? This is socialism, this is, this is Marxism, this is, this is communism. Well, let me say this as kindly and gently as possible. There's a Greek word for that, baloney. <laughs> and my baloney has a first name. It's <laughs> the reason this is not communism, socialism, Marxism, and I want you to listen, students, listen. 
Students, listen, because this is what you're getting hit with. The reason this is not communism, socialism, and Marxism, because those are political movements based upon fulfillment and coercion by the state. It was communism, socialism, Marxism, it is top-down and it is heavy-handed. In communism, socialism, and Marxism, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And in those movements, Marxism, socialism, communism, those political movements are devoid of an ethical and moral just God. This is not communism, socialism, nor is it Marxism. Then what is it? It's Jesus. It is the lives of people whose hearts have been changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whom Jesus said, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and then love your neighbor, what? As yourself. And here we see this, the early church, the early church did these things because they had to, not because they had to. Does that make sense? They saw a need and they met the need. Their hearts were pricked when their neighbor was hurt. Or when their neighbor was in need, they reached out to help them. Look at verse 34. I love this line. And there was not a needy person among them Think about that for a moment. Over 5,000 believers. And here Luke says, there was not a needy among them. Are we talking about those who are not part of the church right here? No. No, we're not. Does that mean we neglect those? No. But right here, in context, who are we talking about? We're talking about believers. That means within the church, there was nobody who was in need among them. small groups, what does that register in your mind? It means we help people. And look what it continues on to say. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as as any had need. Where does, where do we learn this concept? Where do we learn this concept that, that we need to give to others? Where do, we, where do we get this idea that we need to sell things and give to the poor, or we need to sell things and give to those who are in need? Where do we get this concept? Where do you think the disciples caught this? Jesus. You remember the story of the rich young ruler? What does the rich young ruler say to Jesus? He says, Master, what shall I do to what? Inherit eternal life. And Jesus said these words, well, you need, to, you need to keep all the commandments. And what does the rich young ruler say? <laughs> I'm good. I've done that. I've done all of them. And then Jesus, as only the way Jesus can, said this to him. In Matthew 19, 21, Jesus then says to this rich young ruler, he said this, if you want to be perfect, go 
sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven, then come and follow me. How many of you think those are difficult words? Those are hard. Those are hard words, but the disciples are around Jesus when, when he tells them, when he tells the rich young ruler that he needs to go sell his possessions and give to the poor. Now, here's what I know. If you look in Matthew 19, 21, there are five verbs in there. Go, sell, give, and come, follow. It is real easy for us on the last two, come and follow. We want those. It's those other ones that we struggle with. Go, sell, and give to the poor. And I think one of the reasons we struggle with this is because, let me ask you this question. Can our possessions possess us? They can, can't they? I remember in college when I was dancing so well. (laughs) My buddy, Jared Whitman, he, uh, he asked if he could borrow my baseball glove. Now baseball players, you know this, Ain't nobody gonna borrow my glove, right? Don't touch my glove, this is my glove. It, it fits. I mean, it's, it's perfect. I can catch everything when I'm sitting on the bench. I can catch, it's perfect. Don't mess with my glove. And, I'm, and I remember wrestling with this over a glove. My friend, my glove, my friend my glove. And I remember Jesus, the Holy Spirit, just saying, Chris, are you serious? You would rather have a glove than a friend? Right? To this day, I have no idea where my glove is. That sorry dog lost my glove. (laughs) And he bought me a new one and it's horrible. But I had to learn a lesson. People or possessions? I think I can say very confidently and boldly this morning that many of us are in that same situation. Where we have possessions that possess us. And we see people who are in need and we have plenty. Many of you know this. Our city is struggling with, with the homeless population, specifically in the downtown area. Are y'all aware of that? <clears throat> the well, which has been a refuge for the homeless since I've been here, recently closed for, I think, 60 days. And because of that, <clears throat> other shelters have been stressed. Makes sense, right? One of those particularly, in particular that's been stressed has been the Salvation Army. Um, I, I was contacted just the other day uh, through 
the news, I think Josh had mentioned this to me, then, then I talked to a, a city leader about the Salvation Army. A Salvation Army is in need of some food. They, they need help. Um, I would like for us to do a one-day canned food drive next Sunday to help them out, okay? I'll give you more details when that comes. That's all I know, but here's what I know. Whatever our opinion is of the homeless and the situation, here's what I know. Scripture says, you take care of them. Are you with me? That's hard, isn't it? That's hard, but that's, that's our Christian ethic. People made in the image of the Almighty God who need rescuing. God has so blessed each and every single one of us. May we not be a people that turn our head or our eye, but that we seek a way that our community and our city can come to a great resolution. I don't know the answer. I don't. I understand both sides. Are you with me? I understand both sides. But I know what our Christian ethic is. Well, I'll be running for governor next year, so. Uh. <laughs> so the early church, we're gonna close here in just a few minutes. The early church was unified. The early church loved people more than possession. And here's number three. The world will respond when our message is accompanied by visible love. I want you to look at verse 33 again. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. What our text says to us is that the church experienced great power and great grace, great power in witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, great grace meaning the, the the people of the day looked favorably upon the church. All these things were occurring, why? Because the church was unified and because they loved people more than their possessions. And because of the unification and because of the love for others, wherever the apostles went, they were able to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. And they did it with great power. In the early days of Billy Graham's um, ministry, he went to a conference or set up a revival up in Pennsylvania. Um, but this was early on in his ministry, and so he was learning some things. But at this revival, this particular one, there was a lot of dissension among the leaders of that revival. Um, Billy Graham goes ahead and he does uh, the revival, but it was one of the we'll call it a failure, but one of the poorest turnouts of salvations. And Billy Graham later in his life said this was, this was directly related to a lack of unification and lack of love for people. 
And from that moment on, he said, whenever I go, I want, I want things to be unified. Church, here's what I know, is that when we love each other in a visible way, the world will take notice and they will want to know what we have that they don't have. When we love visibly, the world will take notice. And today the world hears a lot of angriness from the church. And I understand what the church is saying. The church is speaking the truth, most of them. Are you, are you tracking with me? But can I tell you something? This may save a marriage right here. Tone matters. <laughs> Did I just save any marriages here today? But isn't that true? Tone matters. We have the greatest news the world needs to hear. Let's love them and point them to the truth. And when we do this, great power and great grace will be upon us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and Lord, this is not an easy, easy topic. It's not easy because most of us, and myself included, we, I'm not the best at this, Father. And so, Father, I pray that you would hear our cries of forgiveness and repentance of choosing possessions over people, choosing to be divisive rather than being unified. But Lord, we, we say we're sorry for that and we ask you to forgive us, but we also say this, Lord, we believe that you, Jesus the Christ, the resurrected Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who shed his blood for us. You are the one who can bring unification. You are the one who can change our hearts. And we ask you, oh God, to change our hearts. Make us more and more like you. Make us more and more like you. That we could speak with grace and that we could speak with truth. Oh, Father, let us be a people or let our church be a church that continues to knock holes in the darkness here in this area. Father, thank you for saving us and delivering us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.